guys, welcome back to the show. I am here with Amanda Bradford, who is the CEO of The League. Welcome to the show. Thanks, Thanks for so having much me, Sean. Yeah. So the, the need, obviously, for a dating app like this, and we'll go into exactly what you guys do, is huge because as we were talking off air for a bit, I was, I've been living here for four months now, and I think in the first month, I, I just... I just couldn't take Tinder, Bumble, or any of these apps because... Overwhelming. It's just so overwhelming. Yeah. And back in Vancouver, it's just some of these apps aren't as popular. But here, it's just, I guess, as companies, they just target New York so frequently that you just get overwhelmed. So that's a big relief to have a more exclusive, more curated app for dating, which is what you guys have done. Um, but tell me a little bit about the inspiration that you had of starting the app and what, what, what got you really to start this side of the, an app like this for dating. Well, I wasn't dissimilar from you. I was pretty frustrated with the current dating apps out there. I had yeah. gotten out of a five and a half year relationship. So I was 29. Um, I had never really dated. So I, I say that in the sense that I had met one boyfriend in college and he was sort of the first one I met and then we dated for for three and a half years. Then I met someone at work and then I dated him for five and a half years. So I had never really kind of been actively dating and and, uh, searching, I guess. Um, And so in some ways I was almost excited to see what this process was like, um, what that search process was like. So I, I signed up for every single dating app. I think I was on uh, Hinge, Bumble wasn't quite out yet, but Tinder, OkCupid, Match, I, I tried them all, um, the mobile versions of them. And one thing that was clear across all of them was that they really weren't designed for career-oriented, like super busy professionals. So there was a lot of work. I think, um, you know, for, for Tinder, for instance, I remember I had to ask like eight or nine questions just to understand if the person lived in my city. Yeah. Did they have a job or were they, you know, sleeping on their parents' couch? Were they just there for the weekend? Um, were they actually, you know, kind of educated? Did they have a, a profession? Did they have um, an actual like desire to be in a relationship? So that was, you know, and it's kind of hard. You don't like just ask those questions. You had to kind of skirt around it and ask sort of uh, I call it vetting questions. We're almost disguising what the real question is, but right. trying to get a sense of, of kind of who these people are. Um, and it ended up feeling like a game of hot or not more often than not. And, yeah. um, you know, I remember, I remember seeing this one guy on, on Tinder, he had a Duke shirt on and then he had said he was a lawyer and his first name was Brett or something. And so I remember Googling cause I'm like a, a Google freak and <laughs> I love stalking. Um, yes. and so I, I ended up finding him on LinkedIn on like page 11 and I was like, Oh, okay, cool. And it was like, I saw that he was like involved in basketball and I saw some other, you know, things he was interested in, some charities he was involved in. I was like, cool, okay, I want to actually go on a date with this guy. And so I drove into the city because I was at Palo Alto at the time. Um, You know, I I, kind of had enough information to be like, okay, it's worth a two-hour commute plus an hour or two-hour date. Yeah. Um, And it it got me starting to think of, like, why are we hiding all this information? Like, what if we had just used LinkedIn and actually brought that information further up the, the chain so that you're giving your users that information from the get-go and you're actually requiring that information to get in. And so that was, that was I guess, when my wheels started turning, um, that why aren't we using the LinkedIn data set? It's, 
it's kind of much more robust. It's much more clean. Like it's actually authentic. People aren't lying on LinkedIn about where they went to school or what they do because you know, their, their peers would laugh at them or call them out because it's very much a kind of a public resume yeah. in some senses. So that was sort yeah. of like what got me started was that I was sick of vetting and I wanted the, an app that would do the vetting for me so that I wasn't having to ask these awkward questions. I was even asking, how tall are you? Because I was 5'9 and, you know, I, I cared about you're that. Tall, yeah, you're um, tall. I care about that less now, but in, in my first, you know, when you're first getting into dating, you have all these preferences and you're very picky and then I think the, the more you learn about yourself and, and the process, you, you relax those preferences. But um, I just felt like it was, instead of kind of doing witty banter or getting to know someone's personality and being clever and kind of the, the fun flirting that you want to do on these text messages, um, instead you were doing these vetting questions, which are kind of a buzzkill. So that yeah. was, I guess that was sort of my, my foray into online dating. And um, I started thinking through how to how to use LinkedIn as our data source and, and try to create a community that um, people were who they said they were. You didn't see your bosses or your coworkers on the app. That was super awkward. I remember right. seeing some of my my coworkers on Tinder um, and they hadn't they didn't know that I was single at that time. So that was pretty weird. And I hated Uh-oh. that. Um, and then you also wanted to make sure that the system wasn't just accepting anyone and everyone. You wanted people who actually really wanted to be there. So they were willing to, to apply, willing to wait on a wait list. Um, and that was sort of why I kind of invented the wait list. It was a little bit yeah. equivalent to how eHarmony makes you answer 100 questions to know that you're serious. I wanted to know if someone's going to fill out an application and wait to, to get in, and they're probably not looking for a one-night stand. For sure. For so that sure. was a little bit about kind of how I thought about the design. and, and But yeah, it was definitely personal frustration, so not, not sure. similar from you. Yeah, and I think what's unique in addition to having all this information curated for you is you're not bombarded by the thousands and millions of people that you see every day. I mean, people are, you know, they have that term where you're just, you're just swiping wet all the time. Right, I call it angry birds, yeah. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Is that like what they call it? it? Well, it's just like, it feels like a game, right? You're it really is. It dehumanizes the, the people in the cards because yeah. there's just so many of them. And you just become numb and desensitized to the matches that you have and, and really just humans. You just gotta realize that these are individuals, these are actual human beings on the other side. And like the whole term of ghosting is, is right. also something that was new since I came to New York that I've had to learn and <laughs> <laughs> sometimes the hard way. But um, there's this actual research called Dunbar's number or Dunbar's law, I might be butchering it, but it basically says that there's a research done where humans can have 150 stable relationships or connections with people before they're basically desensitized to remembering them. And this includes family members and friends. So whenever you have companies that are more than 150 people, you just forget the names of these people. And I think that's the problem with a lot of these that dating makes me websites. I feel better about mine. <laughs> I always forget people's names. I know, me too, <laughs> me too. And you're going to all these press stores yeah. and stuff. So that's essentially the problem with these apps that we have today is because we're just not used to we're used to living in tribes and stuff so we're not human beings aren't supposed to know this many people or have access to all these people um so right, i think so that's like the pot's too big right it is and you just you just that's that's the idea i guess of like being desensitized to it so there there is benefit of the league and being able to do that so i guess like what were your thoughts around that in being able to have this curated network of people was that one of the frustrations yeah. that you had? Well, so we only give three profiles a day for most of the users. If you, you can pay to upgrade and get five a day or seven right. a day, but for the most part, it's a very limited set of potential matches you get. And I think 
one reason I wanted to do that is that I felt like people would value each each prospect in their queue yeah. much more. And then if they get a match and there's not a hundred matches, there's only two matches, you're probably going to give that person more of a shot, right? Yeah. Even if they're not exactly what you wanted or you know a little bit off, you're not just going to swipe left on them because you you only have two or three, right? Yeah. So I think that was one thing. Um, and the other thing is when you're building a community, just like thinking through it kind of as an entrepreneur, um, the number one thing you need on a, in any matching platform is supply, right? And so if we're only going to have, uh, let's say, 100 guys who are over six foot and who are Jewish and who live in the West Village, and that's what you know, a lot of the women in New York are, are looking for. Yeah, yeah. Um, giving them, <laughs> you know, giving them unlimited supply means they might they might kind of go through all of them on the first or second day, right? And mm -hmm. then. And then they'll kind of have wasted uh, essentially a lot of the kind of pool of people that are actually their, you know, what they consider their best match. So if we kind of trickle it out and give them three a day, three a day, three a day, they can actually um, spend time getting to know each of those people and not sort of blow through, you know, the hundred really good prospects that are there for them in New York. Yeah, yeah. So it's a little bit of like us kind of. Uh, throttling for a little bit because yeah, I yeah, think yeah. humans sometimes need that, right? Or else you're, you know, I know it's like all you can eat buffet is you want to put everything on your plate and I'm, I'm victim of that too. But in reality, if they only bring out certain things at certain times, you're going to be a lot more measured about exactly. your approach. The, I guess the other analogy is like you go to a restaurant and you see 4,000 different things on their restaurant menu. You know that they're not going to be Cheesecake Factory, right? <laughs> exactly. I love Cheesecake Factory. Yeah. Like, what are they really? What are they specializing? You know, right. what is the quality of each of these ingredients? Whereas, if you go to a restaurant, they have like five things, and that's the only thing that they have for that day. Right. Then you know they're putting all of their attention and all of their selection into that. So, I, I do appreciate that in terms of uh, what you guys do at, at the league, and I'm sure a lot of people would as well. Um, and the, well, the other interesting part about that is I think a lot of people miss the, the subtleties and the nuances of, of the different algorithms and the dating apps because they, you know, we don't kind of publish them and they're very much, you use the app and you start to kind of figure it out, but we're actually one of the only ones that do what I call double preferences, which means if you have your certain preference and set, um, I'm actually going to only show you women where um, that they fit your preferences, which most apps do, but then also where you fit their preferences. So take height, for instance. Um, height's a kind of classic example. If uh, a guy who's five foot really is open to six foot women, yeah, that's great, and you can show them all these six foot women. On most of the apps, they do that, but yeah. actually, let's say only half the six foot women are open to a five foot tall man. Yeah. So actually our, we're going to show you only those half of the women that are open to that five foot man versus on a lot of the apps will show you everybody. And then that's not an optimized match because you're kind of seeing people that actually really aren't interested in you, but it, right. it feels like there's more people out there and it kind of, it almost messes up your understanding of how the market dynamic works because yeah. you've seen 106 foot one women when you really should see 50. Um, and so by doing that, we actually have a much smaller supply of, of like perfect matches, but they are like very much kind of double vetted in the sense that both fit each other's preferences. And a lot of people don't understand that. Um, and they'll be like, why am I getting such less matches on the league? And why am I seeing so few people? And that's because we try to, we try to meet both people's preferences. Right. Cause the problem with like showing people, cause you do as a, as a, as a, as a dating website like Tinder or whatnot, you do want to show matches. But the problem is when you're showing, let's say the single preference, which is the, the issue that you guys are addressing, and someone swipes left, and the algorithms, it shows that they're less like, they're more like low rated, I guess, or something like that. So it, it actually, 
you're, you guys are trying to really curate that process and make it easier for people to find one the another, one, right? right? I mean, and we're and at some level, it's almost like you're you're kind of sacrificing potential churn because you're giving people their best matches up front, and then they could turn off the app, which right. is sort of a classic kind of issue in dating: is that the better you match, the the faster the users leave your service. But my my whole theory is that if you're you're building the best product company, which I want to be. Um, then you actually want people to turn out because of success and they're going to go tell, you know, 10 or 100 people or put their New York Times wedding announcement in, yeah. which we've seen users do. So we're kind of, I guess, sacrificing that potential side effect sure. in an effort to give people their best matches like or as early on in the app as we can. Right, right. And just being in the dating space for a while, what are your overall thoughts in terms of how dating has shifted since the advent of apps like yours, the Tinder, Tinder is what I got. <laughs> it is. I mean, the whole fact that it, the, the truth of the matter is like online dating is, is just part of our lives now. Whereas literally five to 10 years ago, you met someone online and you're like, like what's wrong yeah. with you? So what is, what's like been that transformative shift and where do you think it's going in the next five to 10 years with the way we're integrating the technology? Well, I a hundred percent agree that it's, become what it used to be was a place to go if you can't get a date in real life, <laughs> yeah. you know, to, to be kind of blunt about For it. Sure. And yeah, now yeah. it's become the place to go to get a date in real life in the sense that it's like the de facto standard. Like you, you're going to dating apps before you're going to meet people in real life. So right. it's totally shifted, um, which was when I saw, you know, the Tinder revolution happening. That was one of the reasons I decided to go into the dating space because I saw people who had never used online dating before, girlfriends, guy friends, very eligible, very matchable, yeah. no problem finding dates, uh, picking people up at bars, getting phone numbers. It was, um, you know, these are, these are kind of your classically like highly matchable people and they're both using Tinder. Um, I had a guy friend and a girlfriend and so right. I was like, this is a huge, huge shift. And I remember when I was working at Sequoia, um, one of the things Doug Leone sat me down and he, one of the like key takeaways was like when you see a huge consumer behavior shift hmm. um, that's happening that is like just um, changing behavior that that had never existed that's when you want to jump on the wave because that is something that is um, really hard to do you can't do yeah. that with money you can't change behavior with money it's like you you it just it's sort of like this kind of beautiful moment that you either need to jump on and, and ride and so I felt like um, dating was going to become online dating was going to become like the new Uber in the yeah. sense of like you call Uber when you want to get from point A to point B. You call a dating app when you want to get a date and and find a relationship. What? Why do you think there's been such a shift in behavior? Like what? What? What are the factors that you think that makes us feel so comfortable? Yeah. Just being able to meet people online and it's, it's become more of a transaction, I guess, if if you think about it. What's What do you think has been that shift? So there's a couple. A couple of reasons why I think it, it happened. One is as much as crap people want to give them Facebook authentication, it was really huge. Tinder mm. was the first one to use it, but you couldn't create a Tinder account unless you got a Facebook account. And as right. we know, back in the day, Facebook was actually doing some pretty robust authentication. You had to get a, you know, you had to get a text message to like sign up for an account. You couldn't sign up with more than one account with a text message. So they were doing right. some real validation that people weren't spam and that you, you know, they were putting some restrictions in place and Tinder leveraged that and you actually couldn't upload, I don't know if you remember, you couldn't upload photos that weren't from Facebook. So you actually oh, had really? to put a photo on Facebook gotcha. and make it in a public album for you to use it on your profile. So huh. Tinder kind of killed one of the key issues in dating, which was like fake profiles, people using fake photos. Yeah. Um, and it became 
a little bit of like a source of truth. Like Airbnb would probably cite the same the same example in the sense that um, one of the reasons Airbnb became trusted was because same thing, Facebook authentication. You could go and see who who it was, whose house you were staying in, yeah. what mutual friends you had. So you could almost vet vet the user. So that was a huge thing. I think mobile, like just the kind of rise, the continued rise of iPhones and Androids and people starting to do almost everything on their their phones. It's like a, it's almost like a laptop for me. I know I spend about seven hours of screen time a day because I'm actually now it tracks doing work. it for you, right? You the know, new feature, it's the worst. It's the worst. But yeah, um, but I'm doing real work on it. I'm writing emails. I'm like writing, you know, I'm writing notes and and you know, doing quite a bit of kind of true work on the phone. And so I think the phone really has replaced the laptop as like the place where people are spending most of their time. And then I think the, the third piece is that I think millennials understand, you know, we've grown up with Uber now, we've grown up with Instagram and social media. And I think we totally recognize that meeting, you know, it's, it's more efficient to meet people that way. Like I yeah. could go and have four friends introduce me to like four guys, or I could go online and get to choose through 400 men. Right. Um, so you see your pool is exponentially larger. And I think, you know, we're, I think millennials are like very much more comfortable with meeting people from the internet, talking in forums with people, you know, connecting, fighting with on Facebook with people that they've never met. It's, yeah. it's just like a kind of a experience that people are much more used to. And so I think that um, that was kind of the third trend. But yeah, I, th I think, you know, to answer your other question about where it's going, I think it's going to become even more. Um, so I have a couple of theories here. I think one is that people are going to start um, trying to be a little bit more strategic about meeting people when they're out with friends in real life. So when you're kind of going out to do social activities, right. um, why not try to kind of meet someone at the concert that you're going to with your friends? And how do you kind of use dating apps to set up meeting one, maybe one or two or three people from a dating app while you're at Coachella or while you're at... Okay. Um, you know, Sundance Film Festival, for instance. So I think it's going to be a lot more like a kind of a social coordination tool. And then the other piece, I think a little bit further out, but I do think VR is going to become a really interesting place for people to meet and kind of go on virtual first dates so that you're not, um, you're kind of almost able to vet, pre-vet someone that you actually want to go on a, a real life first date. So I'm calling it like first date, like V0, right? Of, um, and, and being able to like, you'll, you'll hear their voice, you'll get yeah. to see their mannerisms, maybe their avatar looks just like them. Um, I've kind of dabbled a little bit in VR. We did, a, we did a Valentine's Day party where we let people kind of meet other people from San Francisco and LA. We had them both go into the community at the same time and actually yeah. kind of do a challenge together. And people thought it was, it was really cool. Wow. It freaked some people out for sure. Um, but I think the concept of just doing a little bit more around like video and real life without having to go and kind of meet someone totally uh, with, without any kind of context is going to go away. So how would that work? You, know, you guys will have to mutually agree to a specific time that you're available, yeah. let's say 10 minutes, and you just get on and it's like a speed dating almost? So I mean, there's a couple different things. Like I think the one we tested, which we only had two VR units and they're super expensive. So I think you probably have to like you know, go to some sort of uh, place that has VR, almost yeah. like, you know, you have a VR headquarters in LA and a VR headquarters in SF, and yeah, and you just set a coffee date up, and maybe you meet at a coffee shop, or you go huh. fly through the air together, or... <laughs> Whoa. Um, and, but, but you can kind of already start to do these things now. Like, I mean, the one I did, I went with someone, and we, like, walked around a pool, and we, we dove in and swam, and we got to 
hear each other's voice. So it's a little bit like a phone date, but you're getting to do a lot more. You've done this before, um, like a VR, yeah, I a VR date. Well, I, I, it wasn't a date because the guy. Um, it was I was kind of testing out this world, and I was talking to the guy who built his um, little castle in the world. Um, gotcha. But it, gotcha. Was, it was pretty trippy. It was a. Uh, and, and it's super early days, but I think, you know, in the next five years, I, I think that's something totally that could happen and that um, you get, again, you get, the point is getting to know someone a little bit better before yeah. you actually go and, and meet them in person. Um, and I don't know if you saw the Black Mirror episode, it was like, hang the DJ, but they, they kind of have this whole simulation where you get yeah. to kind of date a bunch of people in sort of accelerated time frame and then yeah. at the end of the simulation it's like okay here's the person you should actually meet in real life yes um, yes that was a trippy episode by yeah. the way that i was so confused by that for a while it was but but i don't think it's i don't think it's totally off direction mm. i remember i don't know i'm sure it's all happening now but when i was in high school i would hear people meeting in virtual games yeah like world of warcraft or these like rpg games Maybe not RPG, but these like games where like you can kind of connect with people. I thought that was the strangest thing, but this is basically what you're talking about, right? You're, you're, you're creating like, your own it's world. Ready Player One, but it's like yeah. similar to to that, where you're getting to you're you're doing activities with someone, you're getting to know how they approach the world, how they approach problem solving. Yeah. Um, again, you can do these in real life, and I think these are great for sort of step one to do it in real life. But sure. I think you know, looking you know super far into the future. I do think that, um, you know, for instance, if you date people in a different city and people are open to that, this yeah. is like one way to, to make sure that you actually want to go on a first date with someone across the country. Mm. Um, you can kind of vet, vet who they are digitally first. So this is for people that are going to go to the city and they want to meet people beforehand, before they actually arrive sure. to the city? I mean, yeah, I think, okay. I think the like, long distance dating is like a, a really good use case for yes. it. Um, yes. But I also think like in the city dating, I mean, like people don't even like going an hour of traffic in LA. <laughs> Brooklyn and Manhattan right? is a perfect so, example, yeah. So I, I don't think it, you know, I, I don't think it, it wouldn't work for the same cities. But yeah, I think long distance dating or when people have very particular preferences or are looking for something that you might not find in every city. Yeah. Um, this could be like a really good use case. That makes sense. I think one of the benefits of online dating as well is the fact that different races are coming together. There's a lot of interracial dating now. And this is kind of like a revelation for me, I guess, because I came here, I came to Canada when I was seven and generally grown up with like Caucasians, blacks, brown people. Like it, it's been very diverse for me. And I think I've only dated like two Asian girls my whole life. So, but like, I know there is a lot of data that's out there where dating sites can certainly help with that, but where, where do you see, like, what are some of the data that you found in terms of interracial dating and has online dating helped at all in terms of being able to bring two different races together? Yeah. Well, so the data shows that in general, people still tend to kind of assortively mate, right? In the sense that you're looking for someone very similar to you with the same religion, mm. often the same ethnicity often the same kind of educational background, even the same professional industry. Like we see doctors and doctors pairing up, lawyers and lawyers pairing up at just a yeah. higher frequency than, than totally random. Yeah. However, um, the, the point you made about interracial dating happening more is, is totally true in the sense that in general, if you kind of take the old days, you are what they say, you're the average of the five or seven people you spend the most time with, right? Yeah. So if I'm only hanging out with white people because that's maybe who's only in my city or in my neighborhood, they're going to introduce me to probably other white people. And yeah. so it's almost a self-fulfilling prophecy. 
in the old days, but in the kind of the new days where you can search people and you're not dependent on friends, family, your community, your church, you're, you're kind of able to go into the, the middle of an epicenter, you know, a pot of, of the entire city demographics, and there's not like one thing that's um, kind of creating a homogeneous environment. In fact, it's to the contrary, it's, it's very heterogeneous. And so because of that, if you are open to all races, which we see most people who sign up for the league are, we actually ask that, are you open to like every single race? If not, which ones? And for the most part, most people are open to all races. And because of that, that's allowing them to match and to get to know people outside of the race. If they don't, if it doesn't work out, they're becoming friends with them. They can, you know, we see a lot of users that meet and even if it doesn't work out, they, they then go and try to help set each other up. Yeah. So it's, it's, it is, um, and I think Tinder and Match came out with a study that it is definitely making interracial marriages kind of go up in, in frequency, which I think is an awesome stat for our industry. Yeah. Because our industry gets a lot of crap about, um, you know, kind of pushing, putting the same types of people together. Yes, but yes. I mean, what you guys are doing is, is not necessarily that. Humans are always going to, like Evan Williams had this great quote, like, how to be rich on the internet, which is basically, Platforms and internet, they just do what they enable and reduce friction for what humans have always been doing and what totally. they want to do. So the fact that dating sites measure that data shouldn't be the reason why you guys get flack for that, right? It's just right. humans are going to do what they're going to do. You guys make it easier for people to do that. Right. Um, like we're, I like to think of us like we're a search engine. We're not going to tell you who to like and who to be attracted to and yeah. who to like and reject. Um, but. But again, I think people are always looking to blame blame somebody or something for the you know travesties of society. So yeah. it's, you know we're kind of the the you know easy easy kind of red herring, I guess. Yeah, I mean, ideally, we are in a world where different races can commingle, and that's like a thing. But obviously, you, what you guys have found and what other people have found is that it is still something where the same race are coming together, but. It may not even be a race thing. What you're saying is like doctors and doctors want to get together. Entrepreneurs right. and entrepreneurs want to get together. And it's just that culture familiarity possibly right. that can be, you know, igniting that, I guess. Totally. Right? Like we have 30, about 30% of our user base is Jewish. And, you know, they really care. A lot of them have a preference for Jewish as religion. And so like who yeah. are we to say, no, you can't have that. And now you're right. going to have to search 10 times longer because... You know, it's like, well, why should we? Why shouldn't we let them be able to put in that search filter? Yeah. So that's that's how I feel. But um, again, it's you know, everyone can kind of make their own story up in their head, I guess. Yeah, yeah. Has there has there been a lot of like attention around that around dating sites? Yeah, I think I think when you let people be very picky, it you you can be interpreted as like embracing that or encouraging that. Yeah. Um, yeah. Rather than just saying, hey, that's an option that that this platform is going to let you have. And it, it kind of gets into almost like political ideology or not political ideology, but I guess like technology platform ideology. Yeah. Like how much do you think the platform should be controlling the behavior of the users versus the users kind of controlling themselves and self-censoring. So I think it, it becomes a, a little bit of a debate of like a value system that's, you know, can get you into a rabbit hole. Yeah. some people because they just there's just different perspectives on you know what a platform should be able to do and yeah. and how much we should play be playing big brother yeah yeah and especially for the league where brand is supposed to be a curated and like selective network it is favorable for you guys to have more filters for people to get what they want because you're only getting three a day anyways right so how, how do you balance that decision like what's been 
what's been like the talk inside your head, I guess, when you're trying to make these decisions? I think it's really important for every entrepreneur to kind of be able to get first take look at, you know, how you make these kind of decisions. Yeah, I think, you know, we look at what preferences actually matter as far as when we look at successful matches and we run regressions on them, yeah. what what preferences actually were like kept. So in the sense of, um, you know, if I really like, for instance, we have, we have a preference around education. You can have a preference for someone who went to a highly selective education institution, selective, um, no preference. And we look at, did that actually matter? Did someone who put that in actually match successfully with someone, um, who was highly selective or did they end up matching with no preference? Cause we end up, we yeah. relax preferences as people run through their pool. Sure, so we sure. actually have kind of both, both sets of the data. And then we try to keep those preferences sort of at the top level and hold on to the preferences that matter the most and then relax the preferences that don't. So for yeah. instance, distance, a lot of people put like 10 miles, but then we find if you give someone who's 15 miles away, the match rate's almost identical. So why, you know, so we actually relax distance first before yeah. we relax anything else. So a yeah. little bit of like data versus kind of intuition. Is there a specific preference that or filter that most people do in the beginning of their stage when they're joining? Like, yeah, a lot of people distance? make distance very, very important. Even in New York, sometimes people put like one, we need to change this so we don't ever let people do one mile. But yeah, yeah. even in New York, we have people that, you know, live in a certain neighborhood and only want to date someone within one mile. Um, right. And then, uh, you know, of course, we'll run out of people in one mile, so we'll, we'll split it or we'll um, spread it out to, to five or ten. Um, but that's something I think women in height is, is a very common one. Yeah. Um, I think people who went to highly selective education institutions tend to tend to use that preference. Hmm. Um, and I and I think that's less of a like snobbiness and more of a like, hey, I value education and I'm willing to like invest a lot of money in a private institution that yeah. um, I cared about and I want someone that thinks the same way because I actually think that's more about like when you raise a family, you know, what are some of the values going to be? Right. And it doesn't mean that, that someone who didn't go to that institution doesn't have those values, but it's just they're more likely to. And so if you're kind of thinking through as a user, what is what mix of preferences gives me someone that is like highly likely to, to share my value system? And right. so everyone's just kind of making their best guess. But, and you know, so are we. And I think as we see what matches successfully, we can go and kind of adjust those filters and make them, um, you know, start to rank them right now. Right. It's where they're all kind of a equally ranked. So you find people that went to similar levels of like education or institution, they, they tend to rank, totally. they tend to match like, much better like grad, and get along. People have a graduate degree gotcha. um, tend to pair up uh, people from different, actually we found that people from um, specific industries, so like venture capitalists, for instance, like if you're a female venture capitalist, or a female in finance, um, yeah. very high amount, high probability of matching with someone else in finance or venture capital. I figure it'd be the opposite. Like, yeah, well, I figure you want someone. I mean, I mean that's people, just me, but. but I think it's also like it's kind of like having a common hobby, right? You like snow, yeah. snowboarding. I like snowboarding, so that is something that we can talk about on our first date. You like venture investing. I like venture investing. So I, I don't know. You know, it doesn't mean that that's who gets married to each other, but that's just who you feel comfortable with at least going on that exchanging yeah. numbers or going on that first date. That's more important than at. hobbies, you're saying, at least in the um, That's what we've seen. But again, hobbies are so kind of infinite in the sense that we let everybody put in whatever. So yeah. it's it's harder to kind of find a, a match versus um, in professional industry we pull from LinkedIn. So there's only right. I don't know a hundred total industries. Right? Sure, so sure, there's just sure. going to be a higher rank of of overlap. That makes sense. So you started this while you were 
working full time? What where was the no, last? I was in grad school. You were in grad so, school when you started this. I was in the last semester where there's not much work going on, so I oh, had a lot of free time. Gotcha. So how long were you working on it while you were in grad school before you went full time on it? Did you not take a job so, in between? Yeah, I decided to. It was my last semester of business school, so January yeah. through June, I worked on it under an um, advisor who's a professor who actually ended up investing in us, um, and then decided found a developer around uh, May June. And then yeah. ended up turning down an offer. I was going to go work at Facebook as product manager and kind of cut my teeth and learn how to actually be a really good product manager, which, you know, in hindsight, I kind of wish I had done that for a couple of weeks just because I, yeah. I feel like the training would have been great, but um, decided to turn down that offer and go full time on this project because I felt like timing was everything. And I really felt yeah. like there was going to be tender fatigue happening and I needed to get, get the product out there. So we ended up launching. We worked our butt off um, and... You know, he, my, I had hired a developer, he was developing, you know, every day, 10 hours a day, and then I was signing up users, doing beta testing, yep. getting feedback, doing the designs, um, working on the algorithm, and then we launched it in November. So wow. we really only built it for like four and a half months before launching to market. So it's very, it's very proof of concept, very MVP, yeah. it's very slow. Uh, we ended up having to rebuild the whole thing once we raised funding. Oh, you did? Yeah. So you were, and it was, it was really you're you're the you're the single founder. Yeah. Right. Um, obviously, single that's, founder. I like to call it. No, no pun intended. Exactly. I was single at the single, time. Single single woman founder. I was yeah. Building it, and when I launched it, so. And obviously, there's a lot of talk about the the difficulty of that. I mean, does that resonate when female founders are coming up talking about how difficult it is to raise money to be able to gain credibility almost because there hasn't been that many so far to really pave that. Now there is for sure. Yeah. Um, talk to us a little bit about some of the struggles that you had to overcome and how you were able to overcome that. Yeah, I think one of my biggest frustrations was at the very beginning, I wanted to get into all these accelerators, incubators, you know, with the Y Combinators of the world, the angel paths. So I, yeah. I applied to all of them and I didn't even have you know, I kind of had my developer sort of sit in as a, hey, I do have a technical you know, partner. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Um, and, you know, I think, that, and I, who knows why they didn't accept me. It might have just been they didn't like the dating space. But I did feel like I definitely got a huge knock against me because of um, when they found out, like, the equity distribution and they found out that, um you know, I was I wasn't the one doing the the coding. He was. Yeah. Um, and I, t you know, even though I have an information systems degree from Carnegie Mellon, I have coded website database driven websites. I was, you know, product managing the whole app. I knew the whole database schema. I wrote the algorithm in JavaScript. So I mean, I, I was a. I'd like to say I, I was the technical founder, right? Anymore, but I think, yeah. I think people, you know, a little bit of perception was just that oh, she's going to go and be like the marketing person, and then she doesn't have a technical partner. Mm -hmm. And um, so we got rejected from pretty much every accelerator slash incubator we applied to, even ones that were had like a limited pool size where you had to be Stanford or something. We still got uh -huh. rejected. And then I think when I was fundraising, um, it was really hard. I, I had to really lean on the guy who I had developed saying, no, I do have a partner, um, but he's just not a co-founder. And yeah. um, it, was, it was definitely an uphill battle trying to convince people that I kind of had the chops to, to be, to kind of do, be a one man show. Yeah. And I think that is my superpower is that I'm a really good one man show. And I don't think people were used to that, especially from a female. Yeah. Um, and 
and so I think we did, you know, we did face a much kind of steeper climb to, to fundraise. And we ended up not even closing the round until I had launched, had users on it. We had like good growth numbers. We had good referral rate. We then got like on the New York Times and finally I was able to close the round right. and, and close our million dollar round, which then grew to, to two and then grew to two and a half once kind of everyone started coming in but it was yeah. you know i started fundraising in june didn't close it till january so it was a long it was a long haul yeah so it's definitely a grind yeah to be able to get to where you are do you do you almost feel like if you were to start over and obviously it's easier to say in hindsight but for other founders that are trying to do it solo do you do you recommend finding a co-founder or is it really just a personal decision like would you have done it alone again knowing what you know now because maybe you do work better alone versus yeah. with a partner? Yeah, I think it's tough. I think I was technical enough to be dangerous is how I describe myself in yeah. the sense that, you know, I, I definitely need someone else, a technical partner, but I didn't need, I didn't necessarily, I knew enough that I could handle it if they weren't there or I could go and um, understand enough to hire someone and to manage them, right? But if you're like totally... Um, without any experience, I think that's a lot harder. Like I, you know, I could build the website. I could do all the other like technical things with besides the objective C coding for the app. Um, yeah. So I could kind of handle all the JavaScript, the the web development, and so I mean, I I was like a light technical founder, right? Sure. I think if you're like an if you if you're that, I think it's fine. I think if you don't have that, it probably is best to find. A partner, just because it's been even me having that experience. I think it's been it's been really hard not having someone that is, you know, as invested in the, in the product as you yeah. and is, um, you know, super brainiac and their superpowers are all about development. It's, you know, you're kind of always wondering if the person you're working with is really kind of on your team and, yeah. you know, especially when you, I, I contracted for like a long amount of time. And so there's always, you never know what they're saying, if it's a bigger bill that they want to get out of you. So they're going to yeah. tell you they need to rebuild something when they don't. Um, yeah. So with contractors, it is, it is tough. But I, but I wouldn't say, I do tell a lot of women that are asking me, you know, I need to find a co-founder, I need to find a found, found a team. I said, what you need to do is figure out if your company has legs. And you need to do that the fastest way possible. And if that means hiring a contractor and paying them $200 an hour for three months. Yeah. Um, so that you can prove if this business has legs, that's the best thing to do with your time because then once you prove that it does, it's a lot easier to find a great superstar A player. And that's yeah. what we did. We like, I waited till we had gotten the profitability um, to really start searching for a VP of engineering and I found an awesome one, but I don't think I would have been able to, to kind of source him or, or court him if right. we weren't profitable, if we weren't making you know, some kind of serious revenue at that time. Yeah, because it is, it is a marriage, right? So sometimes, and people ask me all the time too, is, is, is it is a marriage and sometimes the type of people that you want to attract is not going to be interested in the beginning. Right. So if it is, if you're looking at it from a 10-year horizon, then it's often, and, and that person, let's say, is not there in the beginning, it is often better to delay so that when you are at a more attractive place, profitability could be proof of traction, then you can finally attract that person, right? right. You give up less equity like to Like having often. paying users yeah. is, is huge. It's a big deal. People, there's so many startups out there. I mean, maybe they're venture backed, maybe they have 10 million bucks and maybe 
you know, they have some glossy, glossy founders that you've read about, but a lot, oftentimes they don't have users and they don't have product market fit and they definitely yeah. don't have paying customers. Yeah. Um, and so I think for having that, no matter who you are, no matter if your brand is known or not, um, that's like a big differentiator to have in this market. Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. I mean, the other benefit as well, and this is, I'm a solo founder as well, and being able to really do it alone is, is it can be hard from not just the skill set, but emotionally mental as well. Mental health, taxing. Mental health. Yes, I yes. definitely agree to that. So people that are there, even with a co-founder, are probably facing the difficulties of entrepreneurship, but doing it alone is... It takes incredible strength and fortitude. And I commend you for that. <laughs> and I'm sure a lot of people are curious to know what are some of the things that you've done or what's like your go-to when you're feeling lonely, when you're feeling like nothing is really working? How do you deal with some of these things from your experience? Because I know you've gone through it for yeah. sure. Yeah, I mean, I leaned on my family a lot. So um, my brother helped me write the first algorithm. Like I had written it and I totally missed the fact that women and men would need to have a different type of scoring system because women in general are, are like, more people like them than men. So yeah. I didn't think to normalize for gender. So there's like little things like that that he came in and really became a technical advisor. And so I really leaned on him as almost like a, in a way, like a co-founder when things were not going well, I'd ask his advice. Right. Um, my mom did our payroll. So I had her dealing with like finance and um, understanding where our money was going. And when, you know, when I, when I was starting to pay people a lot and the bills were getting high, you know, she'd almost be like a financial advisor or a COO. Oh, really? Like, I think, you know, it seems like these people are making a lot of money. What what exactly are they doing? And just yeah, kind of yeah. like bring me down to earth when I'm off, you know, doing founder things or networking or, For sure. or whatever. So I really leaned on, on my family a lot and kind of made them my support system. And then I had a couple, um, I actually have, I've had three league relationships um, in, since I, since I started the league and I, you know, I really. Three league in, as in like relationships. That that I, you've been, okay. Gosh, found, using your own app. I do. I'm That's a, a great story. I know. I'm a, uh, what do they call it? A dog food. I guess. <laughs> um, but so, you know, in the four years, you know, I've had three kind of like amazing, um, you know, partners that, that I was able to lean on that, yeah. you know, were there to, to give their, their kind of two cents and understand how things are going. So, I, I mean, I think leaning, finding a support system, um, that you trust and that knows you really well and that can kind of say, hey, it's okay, it'll be fine, you're, you're amazing, what yeah. have you done? Um, so I would say just, just kind of making sure you have a network outside of your, your company and your, your teammates um, and kind of using them as advisors. And internally or your through daily habits, is there anything particular that you do just to keep sane, just to be able to have balance of the way you of the way you take care of yourself is that something that you try I'm to not do? Not great at that. I'm yeah. working. You're cutting out sugar. 20, You're cutting 20, out sugar. Yes. That's from what we said. <laughs> I'm trying to cut down on sugar. Yes. Um, my 2019 goal is to achieve work-life balance. I think, um, you know, I think my my thing is that when I get stressed out, I tend to want to like work more and, and yeah, try to same way. try to you know put my head down or when I'm depressed to put your head down and, and do more work and not kind of throw yourself into the work and not think about it and shut out the outside world yeah um but I do think that I'm now going to have an executive coach uh yeah. and he kind of doubles as a therapist so yeah. I think having yeah. someone that you're you know for at least an hour every other week just talking to about things and 
you know, making sure that there's time to reflect mm -hmm. and like mm -hmm. making time to reflect. And then like medit I wouldn't call it meditation because I'm too, I think like ADHD to do meditation, <laughs> but, but just carving out downtime to just think about what you've done, reflect on the successes, reflect yeah. on the failures and just kind of give yourself a pat on the back. So I call it like, like, uh, not meditation, but kind of, a hyperactive meditation, I guess, right. in the sense that, you know, have a glass of wine and just spend, you know, carve an hour out to just think about the business. Yep. Um, and that tends to like de-stress me a little bit. Um, so just, you're not running from one thing to the next. You're not constantly trying to check something off your list. You're actually spending time just to sort of reflect on where you are and just like enjoy the small wins. Sure. Sure. Do you do that often? Is it like a daily thing or I would say weekly? Weekly. Yeah. yeah. Weekends it's I hard try daily. To... <laughs> Daily's tough. It's but, daily's tough. Um, yeah. But yeah, having some kind of med you know, meditations and Zen moments where it's just you, nobody else is around you. Mm -hmm. Um, I try to carve out that and go on walks. I like going on walks and doing that as yeah. well. Yeah. That makes sense. Cool. Um, so we're going to leave the audience with one small actionable challenge. This is something we do with every episode. Uh, this could be advice to entrepreneurs. This could be specifically to on, uh, you know, female entrepreneurs. It could be for professionals looking to leave their jobs. You've gone through all of these. So what is a small actionable challenge that they can do to get one step closer to whatever it is that they want to achieve? Small actionable challenge. I would say look at your vacation budget for the next six or 12 months and actually invest that in trying to prove out your idea. So whether that's building a website, whether that's hiring someone to help you maybe build a more complex website if you don't have the technical skills, um, whether it's working together with a couple of friends to actually, uh, maybe we have to pay them. Um, but I guess the, the kind of moral of the story is like, don't be afraid to invest in your own idea. I, I find a lot of founders come up to me and they ask how to get funding and they actually haven't invested even a hundred dollars of their own yeah. money into the idea. And so I invested, I think it was like six or $8,000 in hiring a developer to, to build out a proof of concept. And yeah, that's a lot of money and it's scary, but it's also, you know, I thought about the spring break I went on. The other week, the other year where you spend another two weeks traveling in South America and that ended up probably being about six or seven thousand dollars yeah. after you're said and done. So, you know, just kind of think about what you can do in your everyday life to actually try to prove out one of your ideas so that you're not sitting there wondering and saying, hey, I have an idea. Hey, I have an idea, but I haven't. But I need investment. And I think. Yeah. When you're going into fundraising, having invested in your own startup shows a lot more skin in the game than when you are kind of sitting there hoping for an investor to, to land on your lap. Yeah, that makes sense. So to close off, where can people find you online? Where can people go to learn more about you, the league, and so um, forth? Theleague.com is our website. I have a very small but burgeoning social media presence on, uh, I guess, Twitter and Instagram. I'm just Amanda Bradford. Feel free to follow me. Um, I don't have very many people, so it's pretty much a friends and family affair right now. <laughs> okay, so um, far. And then, yeah, I write a couple of blog posts on LinkedIn here and there, so you can check those out as well. Awesome. Thanks so much for being on. Yeah, thanks for having me. Great. Thanks for making it all the way to the end of the show. Hope you really enjoyed our guest today and that you took one thing valuable from 
our conversation. If you haven't already, I would love it if you could leave a quick rating or review on whichever network you're listening to the show and share this episode with one friend if you found it valuable. And if it's something that a friend, a family member, or just someone that you care about could find a little bit of insight from what you learned today. All right. Ciao.